0: Welcome to your Breakthrough Blueprint. I'm your host, Becky Oste, a wife, mom, and trauma-informed marriage coach. After a decade of trying all the mainstream modalities of healing to save my marriage, I found myself two kids later separated and on the verge of divorce. That's when I stumbled upon the unconventional game changer of somatic work that not only resurrected my dying marriage, but bled into breakthroughs in my parenting, purpose, spirituality, health, wealth, business, and more in just six months. My intention with this podcast is simple. Through every weekly episode, my goal for you is that one, you realize how insanely collective our struggles are, that you're not even close to alone. Two, that you can laugh a little because God knows we need it. And three, that you walk away with actionable advice on how to design your unique blueprint for your breakthrough life. So get your earbuds in, grab your coffee so you can sit back, relax and enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited today to be joined by Brian Tierney. So Brian actually holds a PhD in somatic psychology, and he has for over a decade been an international trainer of somatic clinicians. He's been an integrative clinical bodywork practitioner since 1999 has had a multiplicity of experiences, including working with cancer patients in New Zealand, stewarding rites of passage events for men and boys, and providing drama therapy in group settings. So as thousands of hours of training in the healing arts and sciences include certificates in EMDR, leadership and social transformation, biodynamic craniosacral therapy, advanced breathing facilitation, yoga training, clinical hypnosis, transformational dance, drama therapy, and a plethora of clinical massage modalities. Oh my gosh, Brian, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah, that, that guy sounds like he's done a lot. Sounds exhausting. <laughs>
0: And you're only 21 years old. How did you pack it all in? (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to hear your story first of what led you to somatic work in the first place.
1: Yeah, I would say that pretty much my own journey with anxiety. When I was doing my bachelor's, I got a somatic condition in my throat and my gut and intuition. My intuition was that it was psychosomatic, that there was something having to do with my mind body that was generating the symptoms I felt like something was like caught in my throat and I went to the medical docs and nothing that they said really made sense to me what made sense to me is that my anxiety had gone up and that there was a, a mental aspect to it a psychological aspect to it so that really propelled me into thousands of hours of training and massage and process work and then later it was the trauma resolution stuff and kind of process work doing drama therapy and things of that nature.
0: I love that because my clients often will say they, what drew them to me in the first place was that they know I've been through stuff myself. It wasn't just this like head knowledge that I learned somatic work and I can intellectually tell them the tips and tricks and all of that. But it was a personal, you know, journey of pain that led me to it. And it sounds that's the same with you. And I just think you, you can't put a price tag on that because empathy is just one of the most, the biggest pieces of healing for so many people. So I imagine your clients benefit greatly just from your empathy. So EMDR, I know many people listening may have heard about that, but maybe what exactly is that?
1: First of all, EMDR works best with trauma that is not that complex. So people that have had multi-episode, many different types of trauma over many years, EMDR is less likely to be useful and more likely to propel that person into some sort of panic attack response or something. The more complex the trauma is, the, the more work that person needs to do in terms of basic stabilization, and that could include somatic work to stabilize them and get them ready for the the more complex trauma resolution work. But that being said, we can't just assume, as many people do in the somatics community, somatics just means body for the listeners, uh, a body-centered approach or a nervous nervous system-centered approach to working with uh, trauma or working psychologically with folks. but yeah we can't just assume as so many do in the somatics community that this that the body's going to be a safe place to be Some people, they're running dissociation and for good reason, because the body isn't a safe place to be. Mm -hmm. So if we assume that, okay, let's just track what's happening in the body and get that person in their body, that it's going to be a stabilizing thing for them. And that's a bad assumption because for some people, the body isn't safe and it's going to throw them off into dysregulation and Mm -hmm. uh, really throw them off. Yeah.
0: No, thank you for explaining that. And that makes a lot of sense because this particular friend, it was a lot of complex trauma over the course of her whole life. So I think that's going to be helpful for people just hearing that. I, uh, before we started recording, I know I said, there's a million different tracks we could go down that I want to pick your brain on. We could have more episodes in the future, but just a little teaser of some of your history. And then I'd love to dive into more couples therapy, relationship repair, attachment theory, things like that. But first of all, can you just give us a little bit of a glimpse into your experience working with cancer patients and was somatic work included in healing those patients?
1: Yeah. So I lived in New Zealand for a few years and I worked uh, a lot with the Maori people, uh, First Nations people of New Zealand. And I worked in a naturopathic clinic doing hands on work with people's nervous system. And yeah, these are cancer patients. So people's obviously their nervous system was highly loaded because of the stress of having cancer. And so I would, that's one of the unique things uh, about me as a clinician is that I, I work hands-on. I, I actually touch the nervous system and touch the body while I'm doing psychotherapy or while I'm doing EMDR. So that's what I was doing at this cancer clinic was, so I was working working with people's nervous systems to help them to resource themselves and de-stress. because cancer's intense. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting to me. Just my family has been affected by cancer even this year. Um, My husband's uncle was diagnosed with blood cancer and has gone through rigorous chemotherapy and has been isolated and not able to be touched or seen. And It's just so hard. I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not going to pretend to say I know what medical treatment a patient needs, but I do know the power of healing through touch and healing trauma and healing the emotional piece of it. And it can break my heart just to see certain just Western medicine can leave that out in a really big way. Just the emotional trauma resolution side of it, the power of human physical connection for healing. And so I think that's really cool. And yeah, not very common, at least with the doctors that I tend to talk to that you actually include touch in your care for patients. It's like a lost art.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's this fancy word called psychoneuroimmunology which is uh, a word describing how the psychology the neurology and the immune system are all hooked up and linked up together so that if we're feeling safe for example our immune system works better Mm -hmm. uh, if we think about that and just amplify it a little bit then we might be less likely to get cancer just by feeling safe right because the immune system is less likely to be inflamed and so on because inflammatory conditions um, one of the consequences downstream consequences of that is uh, an increased likelihood of getting cancer
0: we've been pushing towards that a lot with my mom's health care because she's been in and out of the hospital my listeners know we've been dealing with a lot of yeah autoimmune liver ulcers dementia it's a lot going on but being in the hospital really triggers her she doesn't feel safe and so We've been making plans just for more home care. She feels more safe in the home. And what I've been talking with her husband about is just her body's not going to heal if she doesn't feel safe. It doesn't matter like what, if, if it's the best medicine in the world or treatment, like if she does not feel safe in that hospital, her body's not going to be able to heal itself. So you're going to have to tell me that word again. I'll practice saying that. That's a mouthful.
1: Psychoproimmunology. <laughs>
0: Ooh, that'll be the title of this episode. <laughs> I'm curious about your the rites of passage events for men and boys. My husband and I were actually talking about this just a few days ago and how women have these rites of passages, like getting our period or giving birth, and yet there aren't these like clear defined lines, at least in our Western society. So what is that about?
1: Yeah, exactly. There's, a, there's some biological... Elements that are very clear and obvious for a woman passing into a girl passing into womanhood. But for a male, there's not very many clear moments biologically where it's okay, now I'm a man. For example, now I can uh, make a baby. It's not a very clear uh, biological process through millennia. It's pretty much always been social processes that have indicated that threshold where a boy becomes a man. It can be very confusing for male psychology, not having a very clear threshold to cross, a social threshold, because the the ancient rites have diminished over over years since uh, post-Christianity, I guess we could say. And so we've lost a lot of the rites of passages that have indicated that really clear moment where a boy becomes a man. And so when I did my Rites of passage, it was just profound for me because it was like going to prom or whatever just wasn't, that just didn't do it for me. It just wasn't a rite of passage. There was no elders in there saying, okay, you well done, boy, you've become a man and now you have the responsibilities in the community. There was nobody to hold my feet to the fire, nobody that could help me to experience my strength as a man besides maybe my football coaches, right? Which didn't really work too well because it wasn't emotionally integrated. It was just like physical strength. And then there wasn't any emotional literacy training. There wasn't any training about how to integrate aggression socially and in communication and like how to communicate if I was upset and locate how and why I was upset and to communicate it and to none of that was there. Mm. None of that was there. So when I did my rites of passage stuff myself, when I, and this was when I was like 25 or something like that, 22, 25, just 22. There was actual elders there that were helping me to locate my emotions and communicate them and to grieve as a man. And that was just extraordinarily powerful for me. So I I was like, okay, I gotta be a part of this. I gotta help boys achieve manhood. I need to, I'm really interested in teaching emotional literacy to boys and to men. And so I essentially became a specialist in male psychology over many years, working with men and doing rites of passage events for boys and, and for men.
0: it's so cool and so needed. Please bring it to the West. And do you have kids yourself?
1: Yep, I do. I have a 15-year-old girl and a four-year-old girl.
0: Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, my... It's just needed. Like my clients, they're all women. Their men have been raised and just inhaled from birth so much toxic masculinity and just a lack of yeah direction. With exactly what you're saying, with just emotional literacy and feeling comfortable with that i think it's such a threat to men in our society to yeah really be in touch and express emotions to be vulnerable it's really a threat i think to their own sense of love and belonging because of just all the assumptions and stigmas that come with a man who's doing the deep work or sharing weakness or pain And it's just needed. My husband, he's actually downstairs right now on a call. He just hired for the first time ever a somatic coach. Like he's seen me go on this journey for the last two years and he's witnessed the transformation and has picked up things for me, but never, you know, done it for himself. And I'm just really excited for him. What I told him is because I know the man um, that he's getting coaching with. And he's just exactly what you just described. He's really leading the way of how to help men see that it is safe and really just such a better way to live when you're able to get in touch with all pieces of you and integrate all of your emotions instead of stuffing them down or numbing them out or escaping coping. So like I said in your introduction, there's you're a guy who's done a lot of stuff. It's interesting how long you've been in somatic work to me, just because I feel like from, it's been two years now since really diving into it. And I feel like it's becoming more and more talked about more and more mainstream buzzwords like nervous system work are like now part of our modern vocabulary, but it has not been that way forever. So For you, having been in this work for 19 years, how has it been viewed up until now? Like historically speaking, when did we become so disembodied and how did we start to get back on this track of being in our bodies again?
1: I'll give you an example of how how unknown it has been. I remember doing some branding work with a marketing person uh, a while back. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I do somatic work. And I was doing some branding around it. And he produced an image. This is an investment. I'm doing it. I'm making an investment in marketing. And he misheard me and put semantic, semantic psychology. <laughs> <laughs> and it just goes to show how little the word is often. You know, the word is unknown. Semantics. So much, so few people actually have heard that word. They translate it as semantic or something like uh-huh. that. And it's seen somehow still as mystical or somehow non-science based or something like that when it's really the only concrete information we we really have is in our bodies the rest is just with the language and abstraction right Mm. and so it's a weird counterintuitive thing that that somatic work is somehow become cast and this has been like this for many years over the 20 years a lot of and and it's strange too it does um tend to draw in artistic types creatives people that are really interested in creative expression so it gets often this kind of imprint of being mm-hmm. a thing when it's quite strange right because so much of psychotherapy is about abstraction and just using words and talking mm-hmm. heads and words and words but and it's weird like inversion or the wires are crossed about somatics because it's like wait hang on when we track what's happening in our body that's actually what's happening it's not an abstraction right when most of psychotherapy is just logic and talking and talking and abstraction and abstraction so i don't know how the wires got crossed but they did
0: That's really interesting way of putting it. And I think you're spot on. And I think it's just, you've probably seen this quote going around Instagram, but our nervous system will always choose a familiar hell over an unfamiliar heaven. And the thing with the nervous system is whatever we're used to, like whatever we're conditioned in, that's familiar and that's where we want to stay. So anything different just can feel like a threat so i think with some people yeah if they are used to just the head knowledge the neck up the talking through it or if they grow up in you brought up post-christianity my background is i grew up in a christian home and anything like of the eastern realm yoga even meditation was like that's dangerous that's displeasing to god so that's what i've seen a lot with my own resistance and with clients is it's either, whoa, what is this? This is woo. Or I grew up in a Christian home. Is this going to be dangerous to me spiritually? And it's been so interesting just going on this journey and realizing like, wait I think the wires have been crossed. And this is actually like the most tangible healing I've ever felt. And it's also so simple sometimes too simple like I had a client a couple weeks ago, be like it was that easy I just had this breakthrough and all this time I've been jumping through these hoops and doing all this like deep dive kind of fancy therapy and it was my own body that I found the breakthrough in and yeah a lot we could go down rabbit holes with that one but I just find that to be true what you just said
1: yeah Yeah. And just to circle back to to couples therapy, I like to work with the eyes a lot in couples therapy because there's so much neurology in the eyes. And for men, like when they start to move towards the grieving process, their eyes usually go anywhere but into actual eye contact with their partner. Mm. There's a I think guys are conditioned if they're going to have any grief at all it better be private Mm -hmm. Uh, and that a man is lucky if he's going to allow himself to have any grief at all because i like to say that grief grief is a is one of the prime killers of men Mm -hmm. if we were to generalize it and i like to think that grief is a taboo topic for men and anger is a taboo topic for women so therefore are very pernicious for both and I I guess what I've noticed in couples therapy if I were to generalize is that when grief starts coming up in a male the man's eyes go anywhere but into eye contact and similar for a woman if anger and aggression is coming up then the eyes are going to do anything but make eye contact yeah
0: yeah, the Jake, my husband's coach, he I remember him saying once because he was on a client call, one of my clients was saying, my husband just gets so angry, so much explosive anger. And he's like, I've been working for with men for years and years. And I've yet to meet an angry man. It's just a man who has a lot of unprocessed grief. And And so I think there's something to that. But what you're saying with the eye contact, that's interesting to me. So in a session, let's dive into couples therapy. And you're noticing that happening. Let's say it's the man who's avoiding eye contact. What do you do in that moment? Like, how do you guide through that?
1: I'm going to go with the direction of ease first, which is more okay. This is in this particular moment. It's a non-relational grief, even though the grief has been triggered by what's happening in the relationship. What's comfortable is that the grief brings the man into kind of his vacuum into his kind of private internal world that's sealed off hermetically sealed. So I'll just go with that first. And sometimes I'll even amplify that by getting him to close his eyes and then track what's happening in the body. What are you noticing in your body? A lot of times, of course, it's gonna be a sensory, a big sensory experience in the chest or in the guts. And to just facilitate a deepening into the grieving process itself, okay? And hopefully midwife, some of the waves of grief that are there. But at some point, what I'm gonna wanna do is I wanna help him to bring that inner world that's sealed off Into relationship with his partner. And one of the ways that I'll often do that is I'll just say, Allow that grief or that sadness to come up into your eyes. And when you're ready, just let that, let your eyes open and let that grief come out of your eyes towards your partner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then and there's a a specific neurology that goes with it because there's so much neural wiring that goes into the eyes and the guy is just so conditioned out of lighting up that neurology and having it be in contact with another set of eyes and another set of neurons over there uh, on the other side of the river and his partner so just to bring up the grief and let it flow upwards into the eyes and have it communicate have him communicate that grief outwards towards his partner. It's very deep. It ends up creating this interesting and very powerful circular circular fluctuation of emotion. And it sounds weird to say it, but I bet you know what I'm talking about, right? Where things are just flowing between partners. There's a flow and this stuff can't. This is the the thing about somatics, right? This stuff, we don't have the hard science and like the quantum evidence and stuff, but we do know that limbic systems communicate. When that heart rates go down and, and things of that nature so we know that we are wired limbic system to limbic system ner- nervous system to nervous system we just don't know, really know the mechanism of how it works right it's probably some weird quantum thing or bioelectric thing and we just don't have the the information to say okay hard science can you prove it to us but it happens right and when it's flowing yeah when it's flowing right and you just feel it and there's like this circular loop that's happening from the eyes of the man in this case right from the emotions and the guts and the heart up through the eyes and then over to the partner and then back down and around yeah and that's a flow of vitality and connection right it's very deep and it can be felt It's so not we just don't have the science to explain what the mechanism is yet
0: yeah, but I think everyone knows what you're saying and has felt it and maybe put words to it. There's an elephant in the room. I can't put my finger on it, but there's just something off or the vibe is off. Or on the other hand, we're just vibing. I think people understand it and say things like that, at least in my <laughs> my generation, but... So often the vibe is off and there are major walls up or hurt had. And what you're when you were talking about grief coming up and through the eyes, it reminds me of a client just today. She was frustrated because she can't cry. And she literally just found out last week that um, her husband was unfaithful. So she's just in a total, when we talk about like the flight, fright, flight, fight, freeze, fawn and flop response. I think the fawn and flop people don't Hear about as much, but flop is what it sounds like. It's just like total shut down, like zombie, like numb, can't move lethargic. And she's yeah, I feel like I can't feel anything and I'm frustrated. What's wrong with me. And we worked through it a bit, but just curious how you handle clients maybe in that, that position.
1: In the flop position.
0: Mm -hmm. Just numbed out. Cannot cry. Yes. Release.
1: Yeah, so a lot of the trauma literature and trauma practice or trauma resolution oriented practice focuses a lot on overwhelm states like helping a person to self-regulate because they're overwhelmed and they're bouncing off the walls with fear and wanting to run or the dissociative aspects where the where the biology and the psychology just hit the ejection seat. the person is just trying to make the best of a horrible situation by exiting and dissociating so all that's overwhelm stuff but there's not enough attention to what we could call underwhelm which flopping would be a type of underwhelm where a person can't get into the arousal systems they're they're just flop and the sympathetic nervous system which is the gas and the arousal system it just isn't really available so actually the thing that's underrepresented in the literature and the practice is we actually need to stimulate folks we need to bring stimulation and that's why i'd like to add an f to all that whole list of f's that you gave which is the frolic system Mm. freeze flop frolic okay yeah, i
0: like that tell me more
1: exactly the sympathetic system which is about arousal and stimulation and all that it's not just about defensive strategy when a lot of the literature and practice just focuses on the sympathetic system as somehow just okay this is our defensive system which is totally wrong it's only part of it mm. arousal systems are divine are designed to also do happy wonderful things like frolic right and play and this is one of the things that a lot of people a lot of couples have forgotten right how to play together just like all that resentment builds up over time and then the couple just stops playing somebody that's uh, in that floppy position, I'm going to want to basically boot up their arousal systems. I'm going to want them to do more active things in their life. I'm going to want them to, you know, exercise a bit more. Sometimes I'll even get them to take, do things like take an improv class, put them in a position where they're that where they can learn to be stimulated, to give stimulation because they're in an underwhelmed position. So that means that we need to get the stimulation systems online and. Uh, hopefully the stimulation feels good, right? So humor and playfulness and doing things that are more stimulating in in life.
0: I love it. It's just, yeah, you can't underestimate it. The power of learning how to play again. I felt that. I felt like life got so serious. A lot of the women listening right now, life has gotten to a very serious part. And the idea of play can almost seem offensive. What do you mean play? Are you kidding me? There's just so much heavy stuff going on but in time in little bite-sized tastes it's the key to like regaining life again and learning how to live again and man i swear like Shits creek i don't know if you know shit's Creek. <laughs> it's like a tv sitcoms my favorite it's a comedy it is therapy <laughs> it is healing like being able to inject your life with things that are going to um make you laugh during a time when you're in a flop response, I think is huge. I love that. So with couples therapy, where do you see it going wrong? And then why does it go right? I know that might be a really big question, but what comes up for you with what you've seen?
1: The classics, uh, the the classic framework is the withdraw, with the withdrawing vibes, which is usually the man, withdrawing and stonewalling, like too much distancing. And then there's too much approaching, which is often the woman, too much approaching and then rescuing and then getting all up into somebody's space and undermining their felt sense of freedom, right? Those are that's the big binary, right? Too much withdrawal versus too much approaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess to add a third thing that runs amok and is probably the, the largest poison of every relationship is resentment
0: yeah
1: if a couple can't let go of resentment, that poison is going to destroy them. It's resentment that often fractures the, the couple into those two that binary of too much too much approach versus too much withdrawal. But even if we worked on those dynamics of withdrawal and approach, if there's resentment, And that resentment is being held on to then it's just going to be the poison and and if they're committed to holding on to that resentment then the couple will fail Mm -hmm. i'll just fail
0: that's the most appropriate word to use for it i think it's poison and it's poison that each is drinking it's like poison to the marriage but also to the one holding the resentment but man can it be It's a big one. I felt like deep resentment, borderline hatred, just wanting to like inflict pain just because I was hurting so much. But that's exactly what it was, I needed to learn how to stop poisoning myself first and a lot of the women um, that I work with, their husbands are not on board to do couples therapy yet. And so a lot of the women coming to me, they've either tried couples therapy, and it didn't go well, and they felt like it drove them further apart, or the husband has just what we were talking about earlier with this culture of toxic masculinity just felt like that's not safe to even go near a therapist door. So what? The women that I work with, they are learning to take the lead and start this work, so to speak, on their own. They've often tried everything else and somatic is the one thing that they haven't dove into yet. But what we found in all of our, in our community in so many of these cases is once the woman starts to do the work, it, it creates safety for the first time to invite the man to come with. And change that toxic dance of what you're describing of the chase and run or the approaching too much and withdrawing. She's learning for the first time how to safely approach herself and not abandon herself and be safe and secure in herself as opposed to constantly seeking for that safety and approaching him. So I'm just curious... If you have any advice or thoughts on the woman who's currently in that position where they're like couples therapy would be awesome, but he's not game right now. What comes up for you?
1: Yeah. What you just said, it can all be put under the umbrella of differentiation, right? This fancy word that gets talked about that for some reason it ends up being hard to teach, um, differentiation is the opposite of codependence, right? It's the opposite of the entanglements that we find ourselves in, in, in relationship, where we confuse ourselves for another person, and we get all wrapped up in these new additions to old conflicts through just being tangled up in blue. And then the opposite of that is differentiation, where you can uncouple from all that that entanglement, you can be yourself, you can go towards your own interests, the things that make you come alive and give you vitality and you can get powered up and you can you can learn to plug into the frolic system and learn on your own how to without being dependent and codependent on your partner to change in a certain way how to power up and get joyful and if you're powering up and being joyful your partner's gonna want to spend time around you, whether it's in therapy or where or wherever else it is, right? So if you're changing from the therapy, if you're differentiating and becoming less dependent on whatever their your partner's moods are and stuff, they're gonna want to be with you. They're gonna want to follow your lead because they see you growing and having more vitality in your life. And they're gonna, unless they're stubborn and sadistic, which happens and they want to throw their poison and their resentment and basically flush the, the they're committed to flushing the the relationship down the toilet which can happen as well but i would say that by and large differentiation just connecting with your own sense of vitality that's the way to go because they're going to they're going to want to join sooner or later
0: I think that's beautiful. And it's so true. And I tell women all the time, like when you rise, you'll either call him up or call him out. He's either going to want to move with you because all of a sudden you're vibrating at a higher level. Again, like you said, vitality and interest and what drew him to you, I'm sure in the first place, like all of that is coming back. You're uncovering all these masks you've put on or these heavy suits you've worn to protect you. And here comes you again and but that's best case scenario for a lot of women but also other best case scenario is he does decide that he's committed to still flushing the relationship down the toilet but at this point you've reclaimed your life again and your vitality and your passion and your ability to yeah be and exist in joy no matter what he's doing i think a lot of women at that like principle place when they're, everything is just bitter and resentful and it's just awful. And the idea of putting on a happy face can feel like fake to them, or I'm not being true to myself if I'm just like acting happy and whatever, like we need to talk about the hard stuff. And I think that's not really truly you is what comes to mind for me in that situation like you are more than just the hard stuff a lot of times we've just gotten sucked into this vortex of trauma and it's what we've talked about this whole conversation it's learning how to live again and play again and step back into your own lane and your own purpose that can do wonders for a relationship So I love the work you're doing. I think it's so fascinating just getting to pick your brain, having been in this for 19 years and seen so much. We'll have to do another episode. But before hopping off, is there any last thoughts that you want to share just to leave listeners with?
1: I really, this soundbite, the column up and or column out.
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: really like that as you you clarify yourself, you become more coherent and embodied, then it's just going to clarify what's there in reality. It's going to bring the true colors out. And whether those true colors are actual real colors and, and, and vibrant colors, or if it's more like a gray zone speckled through with ugly reds and poisonous purples or something, poisonous yellows, or oranges or whatever, then it's going to show those true colors. So I think that's well said and I really like that sound soundbite, Becky.
0: Thank you, Brian. Brian is my dad's name, by the way. So when we first connected, oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to hear this guy out. So I'm so glad we connected. It was a joy to talk to you and I hope we get to do another collaboration in the future. But thank you, everyone, for listening today. I'll link all of Brian's information in the show notes. So. Make sure you go ahead and say hi to him on Instagram, share what resonated with you, and we'll see you next week. Ah, I'm honored you found today's episode worth your listen and time to hang out with me today. You know, for some of us, this podcast is just the thing you need to support you towards your breakthrough. But for others, we know we need a deeper level of support and guidance. So if you're a highly ambitious woman who's ready to repair deep unshakable connection in your marriage, I'd love to tell you about my client coaching program called Root to Rise. This is the life-changing transformational container that will teach you exactly how to launch your marriage to the next level by moving trauma out of your body and stepping back into your power. Even if you've already tried everything, even if you're caught on the fence of should I stay or should I go, and even if your husband's not on board today. So look for my link in the show notes to book a call with me and we'll just talk about what's working, what's not, where you want to go. And very easily, I'll be able to tell you if and how I can help you. And if not me, I can still point you in the direction of some resources that can. So either way, tons of clarity. We'll have some fun getting to know each other while we're at it. And that's it for today. Huge hugs, my friend. I'll chat with you next Friday.